Define expectations is one way to describe guests of this podcast. A common through line is the stories they share involve overcoming barriers and dealing with the curveballs of life. Many times our guests are known for one incredible achievement with a seemingly linear path to get there. However, upon further inspection, their route is filled with hills and valleys. The twists and turns of the life of our guest today, Jen Bricker, left us speechless with amazement and wonder. I struggled to write an intro that covers all the highlights of her conversation with our host, Eric Weinmayer. On one hand, she's faced some common struggles that many of us can relate to, but on the other, she's overcome more unique challenges, like being born without legs. But here's the deal. She's punching stereotypes right in the face and doing her thing. And that thing has led her to become a role model for so many. Let's get into it. I'm producer Diedrich Jonk, and this is the No Barriers Podcast. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. In that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Hey everyone, welcome to No Barriers. Jen Bricker, wow, this is totally a highlight to have you on the podcast. It's so cool. I remember I was in uh, Houston and uh, I was a speaker at this festival and you were one of the speakers and I remember sitting in the um, audience afterwards just being kind of blown away by your story and um, and so that was really cool. I was one of your fanboys sitting in the audience <laughs> cheering. Well, thank you for having <laughs> me. So, all right. So, you know, I'm blind and I can't see all your amazing, um, acrobatics and aerialist maneuvers. So like fill me in, like, not that we have all blind, uh, listeners on our podcast, but like for me, you know, they're trying to describe the stuff you're doing, like with silks and like hammocks and, I don't know. It's very hard to visualize being blind. So audio describe a little bit of your performance for for the blind. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, I can try. Um, So, yeah, yeah, it's um, the fabric that I'm performing on mostly now is a a champagne color. And it's very flowy. And it's um, sometimes... uh, I prefer... I like it when, uh, when it's higher, actually. So sometimes it can be 30 feet up at the peak. So, um, they're typically, is it a, like a silk rope? It's not a rope. No, it's, it's fabric. So there's two no. different pieces, two different sections. Okay. And each mm-hmm. section, they bunch together on left and right, or sometimes they merge together where it looks like uh-huh. one piece, but with the skills you do, um, sometimes you separate them and, and you have one hand on one piece of fabric, one hand on the other, but they're actually quite, uh, like wide, on each, but you never really see them the full open width because you're either wrapping your wrist or um, twisting up it or uh, other people who have legs, you know, majority of people who do it, wrap their legs, their feet, that kind of thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so you use it in, in so many different ways and it's very beautiful. It's very flowy. It's very, um, you know, if it's touching the ground then it's pretty there, if, if the whole thing is all the way up, a lot of people use um, aerial motors, any big kind of Cirque show or even medium average level kind of um, performance shows, Cirque shows, anything, they typically have at least one aerial act and it usually has a motor. And what that means is that it gives you as the aerialist an ability to like um, to fly is what they say, like to actually um, yeah. go up in the air higher. It gives it gives you the opportunity to have a much more dynamic performance. Um, and other people do what they call static silks, or it doesn't have to be silks, but it's static just means that it's just rigged and it's fixed. So there's no motor and the person right. just climbs up and down um, and does an act that way. Do you do it all? Do you do all that? 
I mostly use an aerial motor because I just, mm-hmm. it's just so much better. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that. Um, it just yeah. gives you so much more. I guess I got used to, I got spoiled maybe in the beginning because I was using, um, I had the ability to have the resources in, in the productions that I was involved in to have an aerial motor. And once you do, and I did a lot of, I did um, only duo performing in the beginning of my career. So I had an, um, a performing partner. His name was Nate, and we did uh, duo aerial act. So it was just so dynamic, and you could just do so much fun and amazing. It just mm. gives you a thousand times more opportunity, like um, opportunities and choices. But also, it's just—I mean, you can't describe the difference, you know. And so for me, I just always wanted to find a way. It's flowy and beautiful, though. Really, it is. Mm-hmm. It's very. That's yeah. why I like it so much. As so, there's a lot of different apparatus in under the aerial umbrella. So there's like. What's called lira, which is basically a hoop. It's just a circle, and then there's straps, mm-hmm. which are just straps, like left and right, two separate hooped, like yeah. they're they're all in one, um, like a loop but long. And there's um, rope or cordelis. People will call it differently. So there's all right. different. There's a silk hammock, which I performed solo for years in the silk hammock. Right. So there's all kinds of you know all kinds of stuff in in that world. I mean, strenuous to say the least, right? Like that's a massive understatement. Like silk doesn't seem like the grippiest material. It's not. And the thing is, is (laughs) it looks so beautiful that you you do not realize as an audience member watching it because it's just so beautiful. That's the job of the aerial, the aerialist is that you just make it look beautiful and you make it look effortless and you make it look, you know, gorgeous and romantic or soft or, you know, it's strong too, but Men often, if they do like solo performances, can make it look very strong too, um, which I love both, but it's very, very painful. Like when you first start learning. Are you just worked afterwards? Are you totally worked afterwards? Like, do you have to like go lay down after a performance? Um, Not anymore. I mean, I'm always out of breath afterward. I'm always surprised. (laughs) Like after the straight off the stage, I'm like, and I'm breathing in really heavily. And I'm like, really? And I, it's always 15 years later still catches me off guard like oh i forget what i do is really hard you know <laughs> and <good laughs> when you first learn i mean you're bruised you're bruised for months it's just painful wow. if you haven't done anything for a while my husband i actually started teaching him ariel and um he the first like he just hung with the fabric it, so we tied the two silks in a knot a big knot and that way it created a um kind of like a loop for him to just put his arms through and hang under his armpits and just, mm. just to get to mm. feel it. And he was like, this is so excruciating. This is so painful. Why didn't you tell me it was so painful? How do you make it look so easy? I didn't know. I was like, you thought it was easy. He's like, you make it look so. Yeah. Right. I'm like, what? And he was dumbfounded with how painful it was. He couldn't believe it. It was funny. So I rock climb a lot and I'm constantly struggling with injuries like tendonitis and my forearms and elbows, you, you, mm. you must, I mean, it must be a massive toll on your body, right? Well, it's interesting. So in the beginning, like I said, I was just, yeah, I was just beat up because yeah. I was training all the time. I was so excited. I was yeah. training five days a week for hours and that's a lot for Ariel. But then it's, you, you, there are certain things about Ariel that you have to really be careful of. You have to be always aware of your shoulders. A lot of people have to have reconstructive yeah. surgery. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Because the rotator cuffs get yeah. destroyed or whatever, but my um, old performing partner, he um, who also taught me everything uh, aerial, everything under aerial, and um, he told me from the very beginning to protect my shoulders, to pull in my shoulder blades, to protect my rotator cuff, to you know he drilled that into me, and trained smarter, not harder, right. and so. I was really, I tried to really be, you know, good about that. And I still do. I, sometimes I don't stretch yeah. enough because you're just like, I know I can just do it, you know, which is dumb, but you know, it's like, you right. just do it. Right. And, um, so it's, you know, I've, I would say over, I'm coming up on almost 15 years of doing it professionally. And I'd say considering all of that, I've done very well. I've had no, thank God, major injuries. Um, I've tried to be <laughs> so amazing. I just stretch every day. Nothing like crazy. I just stretch before and after I work out, you yeah. know, so it's not like I'm other people stretch yeah. way more than I do and they have a whole, they're way better than me, but, um, <laughs> in the stretching game, but, um, 
I also <laughs> use my arms. I learned to stretch the hard oh, way yeah. from injuries. I go, oh God, I got to stretch now. 50 oh, something. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, it helps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, all right, here's, a, here's my first of the irritating questions probably, <laughs> because uh, I get asked this all the time. Like, what are your advantages? I, so one of the founders of No Barriers is Hugh Herr, who's a double A amputee and a ridiculously good climber. And he always laughs, kind of tongue-in-cheek. He's like, yeah, I lost my legs. I'm 20, 40 pounds lighter. <laughs> so without legs, is that like an advantage to being able to pull yourself up? Um, you mean like it or no. on the silks? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're lighter than – you don't have to swing those legs around. And you were such – you were state champion tumbler. You don't have to worry about those legs, you know? Like I'm yeah. – <laughs> maybe that's just absolutely not true at all. And if that's the case, great. No, I – um, it's an interesting question. So – Okay, so for tumbling, um, I would say if you so you know most gymnasts are short. It's just kind of like yeah. most volleyball players are tall, right? Because it's to the advantage. Right. So um, I would say it was definitely I w- I flipped much much faster because I was even I was very you know small small. Other people were very small too, and they could also flip very fast. You know, like a Simone Biles, she's very short, so she has the advantage of just rotating yeah. faster. But with tumbling. <laughs> No, there was, um, it definitely did not make anything easier. I would have to say, um, <laughs> not at all. No, <laughs> nothing in that world was made easier at all. Um, and with silks, a lot of female aerialists are very like a mm, hundred pounds or less or like one Oh five. So it's very common for female air, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them are around maybe five to 10 pounds, just heavier than me, you know, very similar in weight. Right. So it's, it's definitely good to not weigh a lot, let's just say, you know, in general. Um, but I would say again with Ariel, it was so challenging because every skill. So my partner and I, we had to basically just every day was trial and error. There was nobody that had ever done this. There was nobody to ask questions. There was no videos to look at. And everything he knew, I mean, 90% of the skills he learned, the training, all involved your legs. The wraps, the skills, the transitions into the Uh, skills. I mean, everything. You're just your starting position. You start standing up much higher, which affects almost every skill you do. So it like, it's into, you don't think about these things. In rock climbing, you use your feet a bit. So like you're taking just like incremental weight off your arms. So mm-hmm. you can't do that. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Right. That's right. When you see people climb um, or when people climb, typically not all not all men or women, but um, a lot of women will use, they'll climb the silks with their feet. Now you'll see, of course, men yeah. do like strength moves and they sit in a sit on the ground keep their legs straight in front of them and they just climb it like a boss without using their legs, which I say that's the only real way to climb because <laughs> that's the way I have to climb it. I had to do it, you know, <laughs> so, exactly. um, but yeah, I would say it was, it definitely created a lot more challenges, but then there were some, there were some things like there were, as we got into the training, um, so he, he my partner and I also did a, um, trampoline act. That's what we did on the Britney tour. And yeah. we did it everywhere, but that's that's what we did on the tour. And we did a partner trampoline act. And so when I say trampoline, it's not like the backyard trampolines that most of us grew up with. It's the And by the way, that's Britney Spears tour, right? Yes, yes, the Britney Spears tour. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. yep toured mm-hmm. with her mm-hmm. wild cool. time. And um so <laughs> this trampoline was like it would send you very high. I mean, you could get some serious air from these trampolines, which is what made it dangerous, which was kind of right. the art you know, the art, the craft of like, you have to be very um, precise with how you land and all that stuff. And so we discovered there were certain things like certain skills as a partner, like as a partner act on trampoline that actually were made in one way, it was like easier. And <laughs> out the other hand, it was like, we have to do a hundred times more brain work and try and, and trial and error and practice of like how to make it work. But once we could figure it out and it was still very hard for me, you know, but like there were things you're like, Oh my gosh, you actually mm. can't do this with legs. So there were things like it took <laughs> a long time to get to that revelation, but then it was like, Whoa, this is so crazy. And like there was 
one or two things mm-hmm. on the silk, the solo that I did for years too on the silk hammock. So the hammock is one connected piece. So it like hangs six feet long, but it's all one connected versus the silks where still silk fabric, but this, what we call silks are two long separated pieces that are not connected. So in the hammock, I could do this skill called roll-ups where you put, it's the hardest thing I've ever learned on silks. And you have your right arm and your left arm and you hold the silks in your hands and you go up and you, you have to keep your elbows um, and your hands below your shoulders locked out at all times. And then you do like Ooh. what's considered a forward roll and you do multiple forward rolls and you go up the silks and it's extremely difficult wow. because your instinct, everything in your body tells you to drop your shoulders because then you'll catch yourself, but it doesn't work that way. It's the opposite, but it's against everything. It's totally like a mind over matter and it's just technique. And it's physically very, very difficult. Like it's all core and all just keeping your, your arms locked out. And so that I, I was able to do two of those in the hammock where as if you had legs, your legs would get caught in the excess material below. So like there were just things (laughs) that, so there were things that I could do because I didn't have legs. But like I said, it was so much right. effort to kind of get to that point, you know, to the discovery. Right. Yeah. And on a trampoline, you're springing off your arms instead of legs, of course, Well, right? actually off of my thighs, right. you know. So I would – Off your thighs. Yeah. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I would sometimes put my hands down to like absorb the blow but not – just didn't right. look very good and I didn't want like to like <laughs> break a finger, you know. So just I was like, okay – but yeah. and then any other skill I did, I never used my hands because I needed them <laughs> for something else. Yeah, I went to a Circus de Soleil event one time in Vegas, mm-hmm. and um, I was with my family, and my <laughs> my kids were trying to describe what was happening. It was happening so fast. Uh, they're like, "Dad, I give up," <laughs> and I just listened to the Beatles music. <laughs> So I'm so glad. Thank you for describing a little bit of that so I can get a visual image, right? Yeah. Well, you know what's (laughs) interesting? This show that I'm a part of called Omnium Circus, um, we have audio description. Over Omni. No, we we love Omni. I've interviewed, um, uh, I think, the founder of Omni. Omnium, uh, Lisa? Way back. Yeah. Okay, so you're part of Omni. Yeah. It's Omnium. Yes, with an N. Omnium. Excuse me. um, Thank you. Omnium, yes. No, it's okay. Um, yeah. So we perform, um, with them and uh, that's the first time. So not even that long ago that I had ever heard my performance mm-hmm. audio described. And it was like, that's so cool. Yeah. It was so cool. All right. I'll go back and listen to some of that again mm-hmm. and refresh my memory. Yeah. Um, so one of the first things you come across when you're looking at you is, is that your adoptive family, your family, uh, always had this expression, never say can't. Right. And I just kind of wonder, like, well, how did that, mm-hmm. how did that manifest? How did that, how did, how did that, how did that express itself? You know, because like when I had kids, even, and this is my biological daughter, I took her climbing and realized very quick, quickly she was scared of heights. Right. So like I would try to push her and, and she was just like, mm-hmm. dad, I'm, I don't like this. This is scary. And, and it just wasn't in her. Right. She was, um, you know, she, her love is veter- being a veterinarian. She wants to be a vet. So she just had, it wound up, she had other passions, right? Oh, like, cool. and so, so how did that never say can't like express itself with you? You must've sort of been born or, or acquired that mindset where that really was a positive message for you, right? It, it like, cause I could see it almost backfiring and almost putting like too much pressure on a little kid. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I never thought of it like that actually. Um, yeah. It was kind of, I think why it was so powerful, or I should say why it was so effective, actually, I think why it was effective is because my parents actually believed what they said. So what I mean by that is I saw that in their actions Mm. all the time. It consistently, it was just a genuine thing that they, they believed about me. That, I mean, so they truly believe, they said, well, you can do whatever you want. You put your mind to it. You can do it. Of course you right. can. But they backed that up because they actually believed it. And so there's a lot of power in that. That's How a did big they back difference. it up? They backed it up with um, letting me, so when I came to them saying, 
I wanted to do all of these things. Okay, I want to go, I want to play softball at school mm-hmm. with everybody else, not in a special anything because mm-hmm. that didn't exist where I lived, you know. And I want to play volleyball and I want to play basketball with everybody else, <laughs> not using my wheelchair, not using prosthetics, just doing what I do with my body because that's where I'm strongest. And I want to climb the tree and I want to play on the trampoline and I want a trampoline in our backyard and I want to go <laughs> roller skating. You know, like all of these things <laughs> that they would have had technically every right to be like, at least have a question of like, well, how are you going to do that? It didn't freak them out a little bit watching their little girl bleed and get out there. (laughs) Maybe watching them me do it, but they never wanted to discourage me. And they, so they were really, um, they just followed through with those things, you know, and they let me try and they let me do all the things that I love to do. And they didn't discourage me. They just were like, it was just so normal for them. I mean, I don't know. It was like genuinely just mm. how they felt and what they believed. Do you ever and talk to like, your mom or say, and like where she's just like, yeah, I had to bite my lip a bunch <laughs> you, with uh, you growing yeah. up? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. She uh-huh. like even just, I was always so curious and so outgoing with people and they would always be like, man, you always went up to like strangers and would just start talking to people. And we didn't want to like make you afraid of people, but we didn't want you to get kidnapped. So like we didn't really, we just tried to figure out like how to let you be social, you know? And, and so it was just, they're really funny people. They're really down to earth. How did they do that? How, by the way, when I was, when I've been researching you, like it's just like mind blowing to me how similar our stories are in terms of mindset. Cause my dad always was my biggest coach always my biggest uh, cheerleader, like never negativity, never like you can't. Exactly. They seem so similar to your parents. And I always think with my parents, they never had any training in blindness. It's not like they were experts. Your parents were these kind of traditional Americans in a small town. So how did they have that mindset of can't, of, you know, never say can't, looking at this little girl without legs and, and just seeing possibilities? What the heck? It's amazing. I know it is. That's what I, I even asked them. I'm like, so did you talk about adoption? Like when you got married, if that was something you wanted to do? And they're like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, what? So then one day you just decided like, and then it was like, yeah, that seems right. <laughs> well, even that, even just that. And then the, on top of that, me not having legs, you know, and my dad just, he's like the most salt of the earth down, I always just say he has a, a PhD in common sense. <laughs> he's just <laughs> that kind of, you know, right. he's just like the most normal person. And he just says things very like matter of fact, but very normal. And he was just like, well, I figure, you know, you never know what you're getting when you have a, a child anyway. You never know what's coming out and you're going to keep them anyway. So it's like, you know, <laughs> what's the difference? I'm like, that's a good point, you know? Like, and so, because people always, you know, oh, wow, you made a decision to adopt a girl with no legs and blah, blah, right. blah. And they don't at all see themselves as mm. heroes. Like, not even. And like, I always say the same thing. They were not at all taught in anything about disability, about someone with no legs, about they're like not scholarly academic people, not at all. They just were meant to raise me. Like, honestly, they just had the heart and the right, everything. They were meant to raise me. You know, they were the ones that were supposed to adopt me. And it's just in the most normal, organic, natural kind of way. You know, there was nothing like added or taken away. It was just what it was, you know? Do you ever look back at your life and just go freaking like miracle in the making kind of like there's a kind of a miracle happening, like a series of events that were miraculous that yes. brought you to this point? Yes, I do. Verbatim, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Yep. It's um, it. I don't think I'll ever not be amazed or blown away or in awe of my life, you know, and that's why I share it, you know, and. Yeah. It's not just meant for me or, you know, at all. That's not what I think. And so that's why I share it in all the different ways with the book and the speaking and yeah. the interviews and all that stuff. And um, it's it's really a privilege for me. Like, honestly, it's very humbling for me to have a life that gives people hope and it does all these things for people. It's like you don't really think of yourself like that, you know. Nobody does, really. Yeah. Nobody does, right? Nobody does. You know, you're just yourself and you grew up with you and you spend every day with yourself. You know, it's like whatever. Yeah, Yeah, I annoy myself. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. So So the um, other miracle in the making is obviously, and it's been well covered, but I mean, we we need to talk about, you know, the fact that your your inspiration for being a gymnast is uh, Dominique Mochianu. I always say the name wrong. I so apologize. It's a hard name to pronounce. Oh, good. Almost nobody does, but I think you said it right. (laughs) Good. Oh, yay, because I've been practicing. Oh, Um, good. So she's your inspiration. You find out she's your sister. Come on. It's like a are you it's just like a fairy tale. So Yeah. It is. Tell me how that came about and <laughs> how you discovered that. Yeah, I I always knew I was adopted. I always knew my biological family was from Romania. Um I I just my parents were really open about all that from as long as I can remember. I've always known. And so that was a really good thing that they were so open and honest. And um Right before I turned 16, I had just asked my mom if there was anything she knew about my biological family that I didn't know about, which is a miracle in my opinion, because my family, like I said, was so open and honest about everything that I don't even like, it makes zero sense that I would even ask that, that I would even consider that as an option. Like, no, they don't know anything. If they did, they would have told me, you know, because that's how they were always. And that's just their character. And so um, I believe that thought was planted in my mind because that's just, it just doesn't make any sense, you know? And so anyway, I asked her and then she says, well, yeah, actually there is. And I was thinking, no, like, I don't know what you mean. That's just, you know, no, you don't know anything. How could you know anything? You know, doesn't make any sense. And then she said, well, you're never going to believe it, but your biological last name would have been Mochianu. And... I immediately knew because the last name is not common, obviously. And and so I was like, wait, what? And it was so much to process, so exciting, unbelievable. And then somewhere deep down inside, it was like, yeah, that does make sense because I, you know, liked you since I was a kid. We look alike. We're both from like Romanian heritage and blah, blah, blah. But of course. Do you guys look alike? You guys actually look alike? You look like sisters. We do. I mean, so my, I have a younger sister, Christina, and we're much, we're just a year. We're almost two years apart, a little less than two years apart. And, um, we look, a lot of people think we look like twin, like very, very similar. Um, and Dominique and I look similar too, just in a bit of a different way. But um, very similar voices, all three of us. There's so many similar. I mean, when we met, we all three had tattoos of butterflies on our backs. And my younger sister and I had ours in the exact same place, like on the right side. And just, I mean, just stuff like that. You know, it's like, what? And it's like. So you always hear these stories about long lost sisters and so forth. You always hear this. And I. I even read an article, like, I think it was in, like, Nature and Science, and it was, like, this nature versus nurture thing, right? Like, yep. there's there's a genetic link somehow to people. It just blows my mind. I'm, I'm very much who I am because of how I was raised and who I was raised with very much. And right. I'm very much who I am from my DNA. It's like, I would, if I had to choose, right. I would say that probably my nurture is more of a result of like who I am than my nature but then like just because character and like all these different parts of your life and the way you think that's all because of who I was raised with but then at the same time the things that I love passionately that came from literally nobody I grew up with or even in my community didn't even see yeah like they came from you it came from just this this what I was born with you know And so it's very, very interesting, that whole thing. It's just, it's mind-blowing, really. Mm -hmm. Were there other discoveries, like the butterfly? Like, I like chocolate milk and Pop-Tarts. You do too. Yes. There (laughs) were, um, my younger sister and I, when we first found out and like contacted each other, my younger sister and I, Christina, we would just text and be like, like try to trick each other. Like, okay, when you go to a restaurant, like what's your go-to meal that you order? And it would literally be the same. Like, Almost 10 oh out of my 10. gosh! It was crazy. That must have been just mind boggling. It was. It really was. And the inch, and also like, I we found out that both Christina and I, we always wanted a twin growing up. Like we just had this thing in our like yeah. this 
desire mm. to have a twin. And both of us grew up with siblings much older than us. So we were kind of grew up, it, like once we got a little older, we were kind of the only ones in the house, even though we had siblings because they were older and out of the house. Right. So interestingly yeah. that we both, you know, had that too. And we're all athletes, so all of us. And my two favorite sports were tumbling and volleyball. And Dominique was a gymnast and Christina was a, a volleyball player. So, um, and I'm in the middle. So just like, yeah. And as stuff. you said, it wasn't your parents like pushing you. No. Like try this, try that. It was you. Not you were all. the one saying, I want to try this. And your parents would just roll with it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do you, do you hang with your sisters? Do you guys hang we together now? Like do you hang try. with Dominique? And- it's just, yeah. it's been so until very recently, I've been living in Los Angeles for 11 years and my husband and I just moved. But until then, it was like we we were each in a different time zone. So I was on Pacific. Yeah. Christina was in Texas and, and Dominique was in Ohio. So we were literally spread all across the U.S. And, um, you know, yeah. it's just harder to – I travel all the time. So it was usually me like say, oh, hey, I have a gig in Texas. Let me come see you. Or, oh, hey, I'm in Ohio. Let me come swing by. Usually that's yeah. kind of how it went the last several years. Um, now I'm a lot closer to Dominique and, and actually closer to Christina too, but much closer yeah. to Dominique. So it'll be a little easier, I think, to meet up more now. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. So also in, in relationship to like what we were talking about earlier, you know, your parents really did teach you to believe in yourself. And, and that's cool. As I said, very similar to, to, to my dad and mom, you know, I want to go climbing. I want to try wrestling, you know, this and that. And and that belief is amazing, but there must have been like, and and by the way, I I love like the stuff that you talk about. You're like, I I don't have this typical like martyr or victim childhood. I wasn't bullied, but I mean, come on, there must've been times where you're trying out some of these sports and you're like very unique and you know, you don't have any like role model. You don't have anyone to show you exactly how to do things. There must've been moments where you felt like a fish out of water. You know, I know one time, I mean, I loved basketball before I went blind. And I remember ah, when kids started getting better and they started not doing bounce passes, I would just get hammered in the face. Mm. And, uh, and it was a struggle. So I'm just wondering, like, was it, was it always pretty easy because of your mindset? Or maybe you just don't have that sort of like that typical thing that a lot of kids have where they kind of feel alone in the world? Um, I wouldn't say I, I never really felt alone in the world. I didn't really feel... I had a lot of struggles, though, of course, with I had to learn a lot of things very differently. Like, okay, um, in volleyball, yeah. for example, I love volleyball and I'm really fast and I was really good at it, you know, but, uh, but the yeah. um, serving and I was always very strong. I always just had a lot of muscle. I always, I used to think I had the muscle in my arms because I didn't have legs because you think, oh, well, you use them all the time and that's why you have a lot of muscle. But, right. and I believed that my whole life. And I was also very insecure about that as a girl, you know, I wanted to be feminine and not bulky and like, you know, buff or <laughs> how I saw it. Right. But I actually, when I found out, like when I met my biological family and saw my DNA and genetics and all that, and then learned about fitness and health and actually it's, it's totally my genetics, which is insane. So, cause I've seen other people who are just like me, don't have legs, and their arms are like half the size of mine. And so I was like, it blew my mind. I'm like, I believed this my whole life? Like what? (laughs) You know? But um, but getting Mm. back to the challenges, Mm. so like in volleyball, um, serving was like my biggest challenge because I had all the strength to hit the ball, but I was so short. And the net was really high. And so you had to, it was like, Oh, it frustrated me so much because I'm like, I have the strength. This is not even a problem. But it was is figuring out like how do I how do I use this if I hit it hard like everybody else does at the same angle, it's just gonna go right into the net because I'm so short. And right. so my coach yeah. had to work with me with all these, you know, different things. And in every sport, I had to, I had that kind of a moment in every sport. So and I would always I would be the first person because I would say to get frustrated at myself because a lot of things did come natural, like sports and fit. I'm naturally just very good at these things. And so if I didn't learn something yeah. quickly, I was super mad. Like I was like, right. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm, yeah. I can't figure this out, you know? And so, um, I wouldn't say I ever felt like this huge gap of like, Oh, I don't have legs and everybody else's. I just, 
it was a problem and I was frustrated because I always wanted to be like so good, you know, like I just wanted to be good. Like I think I would have been that way even if I had legs. I don't think that there's a difference in that. Um, I think my childhood in that way, it was just so much, so much simpler, you know, in, in all of that. I think where more of this kind of stuff or just the complicated things or amplified things came a lot more in my adult life than they did in my childhood. So people always think it's the other way around, but it's, it definitely, because right, of traveling and just all over the world and all different people and the planes and the wheelchair and people and, oh my gosh, right. that. Pain in the butt. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm. So, so a lot of kids want to be like everyone else, right? Like I, uh, I'm just speaking personally, I guess I kind of wanted to fit in. There's a moment, is there a moment when like, or a series of moments where you realize like, Hey, maybe fitting in isn't like, it isn't the end all. Maybe like standing out and being unique and expressing me is, is, is where it's at. Did, was there ever a moment like that? Or were you always like that? Um, I don't know if I ever thought of it like that. I was always really, I don't know how else you say this without sounding like a total jerk, but I was always popular in school. So I was always social. I was always like, yeah, good. You oh, know, no, that's great. I mean, it was a small school, you know, a small town. We all grew up with each other. So yeah. it just wasn't a big deal, you know? And so, um, but I realized I was different, not because actually oddly enough. So, okay. Yeah. I didn't have legs. This was never the big thing, but I did, I was different than, almost everybody here. So I always like was social, loved to be with people, but my mind was very different than other people's. So that I noticed, I noticed that very early on, probably like the end of junior high. And then very much noticed it in high school. Like I liked to dress differently. I liked, I wanted to go into fashion. That was going to be my career before I started performing. So I, I dressed differently. Uh I thought about things differently. I had different things I wanted to talk about. I like, just, uh, just that in that way, I was very different in that way. And I loved, of course I loved fitting in. I, and I had insecurities that were just like other people, not related really to not having legs, but I wanted to have skinnier arms and I had acne and I, you know, wanted to lose weight and I wanted to be thinner and I wanted, you know, all of these things definitely, um, like a teenage kid, you know? And then, you know, as I got older, I had a whole, a whole slew of things once I entered the entertainment industry and everybody's body was perfect. And, and then I did lose the weight and I went too far and got into whole like body dysmorphia and Mm. really hit rock bottom in that kind of a way. So, um, I definitely went through a lot of challenges with my body. They just didn't happen to be related to not having legs in that way. Um, so it's kind of interesting how that happened. So, Definitely a lot of struggles uh, mentally with just like, well, I'm skinnier than I've ever been, but I look in the mirror and I tear myself apart, you know, and I can't stop. And so there was a lot of that that went on. Yeah. What about dating and stuff? Was that like, was, was that different for you or anything like that as, as, as you discovered boys or? (laughs) (laughs) I was always discovering boys. Okay. Got it. So that, yeah. Uh-huh. That was always like, I mean, I was just always, I think, cause I was so social people who are just social yeah. that it's just always kind of like that. They're always, you know, if you're confident or funny or, um, just social butterfly, you typically are the one that just dates people all the time. People are attracted to you because your personality or whatever, you know, and that's for anybody, you know, like if, if someone thinks, Oh, I'm not yeah. that attractive. And if they just love who they are and they're at peace and they're, you know, like happy and just kind of, Hey, this is who I am. It's really confidence. It's attractive, you know, in that way, or just settled, not even, you know, just settled and like, Hey, this is who I am. And, um, people find that very attractive. So regard, and I think because I wasn't weird about it, I think if I would have been weird about it, definitely you're comfortable with yourself. I think that would have been made things. Yeah. People kind of reflect you, don't they? Like a mirror, right? If you're like all, you know, comfortable and then they'll be uncomfortable. But if you're comfortable with yourself and like yourself, then people reflect that. Yes. I think we have a lot more, um, kind of influence and how people treat us than we realize. Right. How'd you meet your husband? You you guys perform together, right? Yeah, we perform and we speak together. Uh, we met in Austria where he's from in Europe 
and I was speaking over there doing a book signing and a speaking event. So my book's in 11 languages, and one of them is German, which is his first language. And we met in Austria, and he bought my book after he listened to the speech and um, then reached out to me several weeks later and just kind of kept it going for um, just messaging each other online, like yeah. over weeks and weeks and uh, months. And then it was voice messaging and then it was video. And then it was, Hey, I want to come see you in LA. And he had never been to the U S so, uh, flew to the U S flew to LA <laughs> and which was like, you know, funny that that was the first place he saw of the U S but saw Los Angeles. Huh. And, um, then we hung out. Then I flew back to Austria a couple months later and a couple months after that we were engaged and three months uh. after that we were married. So it was very fast. What's his specialty in terms of like when you guys perform together? He's actually a professional musician. He's a trombonist and um, Got it. he's a brass teacher as well. But mm -hmm. he also sings opera music. So he's or he's trained Beautiful. in opera singing. So that's kind of where he was when I met him. And yeah. um, so over we've only been married almost three and a half years. So not that long. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and when everything was shut down, we created a performance together, combining his live trombone playing and Ariel Silks. And I taught him Ariel as well. So we actually do kind of integrate all of it into a very unique, special um, performance. Oh, I can't. Oh, God, hopefully I can come see you again. And, uh, yeah. In yeah, it would be. It's all audio described. So you will much yeah. better than I can do, I'm sure. <laughs> So I've done a lot, like I do a lot of reading and, and um, on psychology and emotional health and things like that. And first of all, and, and I have an adopt, adoptive son, Arjun, we adopted him from Nepal. Oh, awesome. My ex-wife was adopted. But a lot of people who are adopted do struggle, like especially when you're, you know, when you're alone for three months, you know, in a, in a, in a foster care or a hospital, you know, mm -hmm. or an orphanage or whatever. So, do you think any of that affected you? your mental health like I, and again i know other people have asked you this but it, it just seems so natural that like you did you do a lot of counseling and stuff because i like your parents dropped you off at this hospital i just know for my own sake i would feel a little angry like i'd feel rejected like that's the people that are supposed to protect you and and believe in you you know what i mean mm -hmm. so ha, have you have you wrestled with this and and where where do you land you know, I never did any counseling or anything like that. Um, I think my perspective was always kind of, well, I have these parents that chose me, that adopted me, that loved me, yeah. that were awesome, that gave me a, a great childhood. And so my way of thinking was kind of like, well, if I would get hung up on these, uh, on my biological parents who for many different reasons uh, you know, left me, put me up for adoption because they had their own life and all their things going on, but they're totally different perspective from a completely different country, you know, which I knew then it seemed like I'd be slapping my parents in the face, you know, who raised me, who chose yeah. me just didn't seem right. fair to think like that in my opinion. And yeah. it's, I don't know. I never, I, I don't really understand that to be honest. And I feel like I feel like I'm the outcast for saying that because everybody, it's like I'm supposed to think that way. But yeah. in my mind, it's like, well, just because they couldn't have me or, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that went on or keep me and they made that decision. It has nothing to do with me. Like it has, you know what I'm saying? Like their decisions yeah. were about them. And yeah, of course, that's logic. But there's emotion too. You know what I mean? But I never uh, met them. You know? 100% like, hasn't. Yeah. 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 Right. And it was, it just, I don't know. My biggest thing was that I wanted to respect my parents because they gave me a good childhood. I'm like, so right. what am I complaining right. about here? You know, like, and then if I do complain about these people that I didn't meet until I had never, you know, at that point I, I had never met them when I was younger. And, and the way I was raised around people, um, adoption was always this like positive celebration. So I mm -hmm. remember I did not ever hear anybody associate adoption with negativity until I was like an adult. And I was like, what? Yeah. I remember I was so surprised. Like I thought, wait, how, what do you mean? Like how could adoption be negative? Like I, I didn't even, 
I was so naive, I guess, mm. in that kind of way. And so, and my parents just really believed that it was meant to be that, that they raised me, that I ended up with mm. them. And they told me from the beginning also like, Hey, you don't have to, don't hate your biological parents. You know, they, before I could even think about it and I was so young, they implanted that in me. You know, they said, we don't know what was going on in their lives. You don't know what, what was happening. We prayed for you. You were our miracle. You were supposed to be here. Mm. So at the end of the day, why they gave you up, it does, it's irrelevant because, you know, you were supposed to be here with us. And so as I got older, I just really truly believe that then for myself. I think that's beautiful. I mean, it's all about empathy. Uh, most people have to kind of grow that over the years. <laughs> um, so do you have a relationship uh, with, with them at all? Do you ever yeah. hang with them? I do. I mean, it's, yeah, it's nice. not as, uh-huh. as often or as much as with my sisters. Um, it's just a different right. kind, but yeah. they were at my wedding. Yeah. And everybody was there at our wedding and Aww. that was a really special. Oh, great. Yeah, it was special. And my mom actually was the one who insisted on it. My mom wanted my biological mom there with her walking, sitting up front, right beside her. Like it was her who pushed for that. I didn't, I was like, either way, I'm like, yeah, if she wants to come, cool. If not, you know, it's fine. Like I was totally fine either way. My sisters were there, of course, but I didn't know if she'd feel comfortable coming, you know? And so I was like, well, you know, but my mom was like, no, she has, like, it's really important that she needs to be there. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So cool. So, yeah. Well, I think you should keep telling that story and not feel like worried. Like, yeah, everyone else I talk to is full of like trauma and stuff like that <laughs> because th- we're not all cookie cutters. Yeah. Your life is unique. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective. Thank you. What about your brothers? Uh, I, I had older brothers, too. That was another uh, similarity. Man, they pounded me into uh, humility and toughness. Yes. Yep. <laughs> did your how did your brothers uh, deal with you? I would say yeah. Did they did they beat you into uh into uh being a champion? <laughs> I think <laughs> at first I was like their new puppy, you know. I was like, "Ooh, and their new toy. <laughs> what can she do next?" you uh-huh. know, and they, all the experiments. <laughs> and so right. they definitely, uh-huh. you know, were okay, let's let's have her jump off the couch onto the pillow and then then the coffee table <laughs> and then something else, you know. And, and um, you were willing, I'm sure. Totally, totally. I was all about it. <laughs> yeah. And and then at the same time, as I got older, you know, they're very protective. Typical, stereotypical big brothers, you know, like all the way through. I mean, they're still like that. It just, it was very, uh, very kind of present when I was younger and date started dating or something. And they were like, oh my gosh, you know, mm. the total big brothers and all that. So, um, which I like that. I think mm. that's good. <laughs> Do they come and see you like speak and perform? Is that like totally oh, yeah. awesome to have them in the audience? Yeah, it's it's always cool, you know, when they're there and they can make it, and yeah. I love that, you know, it's it's cool. Whenever my family's in the audience and I'm speaking, I'm always actually a little more nervous because yes. I'm like, oh god, it really matters now. <laughs> I know it's it's always different, right? It's very weird when you like your fa- yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> now. Obviously, you love sports, you love tumbling, but you also I love the that you describe. Uh, the people that you met along the way is your tribe, man. I mean, at No Barriers, we talk so much about the tribe, about your community, about your sense of belonging. And uh, we call it a rope team. It's like a concept taken from the mountains where when you're up on a glacier, you're physically roped together with the people around you. I love that mm. idea that you talking about your tribe was so important to you. Tell me more about your tribe. Yeah, all the community from the beginning was always so important. Um, just by nature of growing up in such a small town. And um, I I just saw how awesome that was, you know, how amazing it was to have people just support you or let you try or encourage you, you know, like it's just, it's just so awesome to have that and really powerful. And, and everybody has like the people that they're surrounded with or that they see the most often, you know what I mean? The people in your life who you can make an impact on and who make an impact on you. And so I'm very grateful for that. You know, I'm very always the first one to say and to pound it into people that I'm only where I'm at or I've only done the things that I've done because so many people made the decision to pour into me, you know, in all different kinds of ways. Encourage me, teach me, let me try, support me, kick my butt, you know, whatever. And and that's all um, really big blessing for me. You know, again, this is another like kind of really interesting counterintuitive 
part of your life, which like you kind of expect, you know, you to hear you say, oh, I had all these people said, you can't, and I defied them. No, you had a lot of cheerleaders. You had a lot of mentors. What, why do you think that's the case? Like, do you think, I, I mean, I think I know. I think it's because of you, because you have the spirit of sort of optimism and gratitude, and I think that just attracts people. But anyway, I, I led you, to, unfortunately. I, I want to hear what you think. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I never thought of it like that. Um, I think I just... If I want to do something, I'm very passionate and then I do what needs to be done to kind of get there. And um, I don't know. I mean, I had, you know, like I said, I've had plenty of people kind of along the way. I mean, even <laughs> like I had, there was this instance where my old performing partner, we had just started uh, kind of working together and all his acrobat and aerial friends set him down like an intervention basically. And said, like, what are you doing being partners with this girl? She's going to ruin your career. Like you're committing career suicide. Right. And I found this out after, of course, not when it first happened. And it was kind of one of those things where I'm like, I tilt my head and I'm like, what, what am like, okay. Like it, why would you think that, you know? And then at the other, um, then immediately I just was like, I just, they'll just get it. Like, I don't know. It was like, I just knew it just, I've kind of always been the person that never fit in any box. And so, um, sometimes people just don't get it. Like, and that sort of become more prevalent as I got older in the entertainment industry. That's where things then, you know, cause then you're on these big stages, international and all these different people and all these different opinions and people just typically overcomplicate things. And so, the people who always got me were the everyday average people or the people yeah. at the very, very top of the entertainment industry who were making the actual decisions. But people right. in between um, couldn't, you know, it like like all those people who sat them down like that. And then they were there at the Britney Spears concert watching us perform, you know, a year later. <laughs> and they got it. And so it just sometimes takes people time and it's always about what's going on in their life that's the end of the story. We, you know, go through the whole thing. Um, and that comes out in a lot of different ways. I've had people, a lot of friction with people over like just stupid things like my wheelchair and the airplane and traveling and people from different countries and the way they view me and just on and on and on, you know, really dumb things that shouldn't be an issue, you know, but then I, here I am arguing with somebody over something so dumb. And so, um, those kind of things have been the biggest challenge in like, in what was very, that's a very big part of my life because I was on a plane or am typically traveling or in a plane all the time, like multiple times a month. So that was a very big part of my life and is a very big part of my life. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, I'm really thankful for the people though, that I always have been, you know, for people who have poured into me. And, uh, I, I think maybe, maybe what you said has something to do with it too, but I don't know. I never thought of it. Yeah. Those daily barriers though are really fascinating. I mean, I'm, I was in New York city speaking like two weeks ago and, uh, I went into an Indian restaurant. The guy's like sat down. He's like, I'm not serving you with your guide dog. Get out. And I'm like, Oh wow. 50 year old man. Yeah. Like, this is my guide dog. It's my eyes. And I just sat there, and he wouldn't serve me. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I stood up, and because I, I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere, so I walked out. But I stood up first, and I just went, hey, everyone, just want you to know I'm being discriminated against. And uh, with, for my guide dog, this guy won't serve me. And uh, as patrons of this restaurant, I, it's, you know, I have second thoughts about eating in this establishment. And I walked out. Wow. So, yeah, that's going to happen for the at the end, you know, probably always, right? Yeah. Those little things You're always going to have people like that. And in my experience, it's certainly not the majority, but it's there. It's, and it's probably always going to be there. I don't, I think it's kind of an illusion to think that there's never going to be people who say stupid things anymore. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. You know, I'm just grateful. It's not the majority, you know? Yes. It's all, they're outliers. Yeah. 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 Do you ever get sick of the word inspiration? Like, you know, it's kind of overused a little bit. And I've heard you talk a little bit about that. Or do you think it's a cool thing? When I was younger, yeah, it was super annoying. I was like, because I didn't get it. You know, I'm like, okay, stop telling me I'm an inspiration because I'm, I don't know, shopping or something so stupid. You know, (laughs) it's like, 
come on. Um, but now that I'm older, I take it as a compliment. And it's, it's something that is meaningful for me. And I, I appreciate it. Cool. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, adaptability, right? Like you're very adaptable, of course. And that's a huge strength. And so I, I kind of think that, okay, that's, that, that's uh, cool to be so adaptable and have done the things that you've done. But, but then you ask the question, why? Like, why are you out there doing all this crazy stuff in front of groups and traveling around the world? Why do you think you, you do this stuff? Well, um, I really, I truly love it. I truly enjoy it. I'm extremely blessed to be able to do it to have been able to do it for so many years, to be able to go to so many countries, meet just so many people who are amazing to me. Um, and I believe that it's just God's purpose for my life. Uh, I believe that that is my, the whole situation, being born without legs, left in the hospital, put up for adoption, the whole thing is used, that story in a nutshell of my life, is being used to touch so many different people in so many different ways, ways that I didn't even think about. It's my life. But people tell me, you know, all these different things. And it's just like, wow. And so I know I was created for, for this stuff that I'm doing. It's just in my bones. It's in my spirit. It's in, and that also is motivating. That, that's the longevity part where it's not just self-serving or, oh, it's just for me. And I think I would have burned out a long time ago on that because just a lot of pressure, you know. But There is a lot. Yeah. 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 So, and you've been at it a long people. time. Long time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. How long do you think you can do this? Um, forever? I mean, you seem like a woman with a plan. Like, you seem really put together, and you, you see, <laughs> I, I would predict that you have like a plan for your life, but, or, or do you just let things roll? Kind of both. Um, but I, performing, I think, def- easily 10 more years, if not more. Speaking is forever. That's never stopping. Yeah. Um, we want to have kids and, we want to have kids and adopt, so we want to do both, whatever oh, comes, great. you know, first. Yeah. And um, we want to probably do a book together and mm. um, possibly a, a movie or something, you know, at some point about my life. And totally. Yeah, and, and just those are kind of the, the big ones right now, but there's always stuff just that I could never mm. have predicted, and I have a big imagination, <laughs> mm. and still – things come up that just blow me away and like, wow, I didn't think I'd be doing this or, you know, there's just been things that I've done over the years that I just couldn't have thought of, you know? So I'm, I'm always open to the stuff that I just didn't expect. I just can't, I mean, somebody must've come to you and said, I want to make a movie of your life. Somebody must. Oh yeah. Many, many somebodies, many, 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 many somebodies. I could see this movie. It's (laughs) going to be a hell of a movie. Yes. It's just the right timing and the right people. Well, I'll just mention your book, Everything is Possible. That's totally awesome. I haven't read it yet because I went the other day to get it on my Bard, which is like the, uh, the, the technology that you listen to books for the blind. And it's not oh, there okay. for some reason. Oh, we got to yell at interesting. these people. Yeah. yeah, I got to figure that out. I had an audio too. I'll get it on Audible. Yes. And, and, and I know we're running out of time, so we'll have to save your experience in Beijing eating duck tongue uh, for, another, <laughs> for another podcast. Okay. Um. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. I saw that on one of your podcasts. Uh, uh, yeah, I am not adventurous when it comes to food. Oh, yeah. Uh, no snake, no duck tongue. Oh, uh, I love it. Yeah. No, I'm a wimp. <laughs> yeah, good for you. You got adventure in, in every part of your life. <laughs> I try. I, I don't know. I just like it. Yeah, good for you. That's you, We're going to leave that to you, not to me. No tongue. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, man. You're in demand. You're training. You're living this full life. So to come on No Barriers and really, uh, you know, share your insights and your life with our community is really special. And uh, I hope uh, I hope I can I can get to see you in person at some point. I put quotes around the word "see." <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Jen. No barriers to everyone. Thank you. The production team behind this podcast includes producer Diedrich Jonk, that's me, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Kotman, marketing and graphics support from Stone Lord, and web support by Jamlo. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. 
We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at NoBarriersPodcast.com. That's NoBarriersPodcast.com. There's also a link to shoot me an email with any suggestions for this show or any ideas you've got at all. Thanks so much and have a great day. See you.